Hey everyone, my name is Jason Parker, and I want to welcome you to the Coastal Church Podcast. I'm super excited for you to hear this message. We believe that God wants to speak to us, and we hope that you're open to hear what He has to say to you today. Enjoy. Well, happy Father's Day. I know you've heard it, but I'll say it again. Happy Father's Day. Oh, man, thanks. Man, you guys are rowdy tonight. I like it. I like it. My name's Jason. I'm one of the pastors here at Coastal. We're so glad you joined us here tonight. And looking forward, tonight I'm really pumped to jump into a book of the Bible. Um, We preach lots of different sermon series on lots of different topics, but my absolute favorite thing to do in terms of preaching is grab an old book of the Bible and just preach through it. I just, there's something about just working through something verse by verse and digging into the scriptures. The, The scriptures are full of life. And I just love kind of doing that approach. And so for the summer, we're going to jump into the book of James. And so I would highly encourage, this is like a summer goal for you that doesn't take that long. I actually went on the YouVersion Bible app because I wanted to figure out how long does it actually take you to read the book of James? Anyone, anyone want to wonder what that is? I'll tell you what it is because I actually added it up. 15 minutes and 20 seconds. And if you put it on like double speed, you can do it in half the time. (laughs) So between 7 and 15 minutes of your summer, can I just encourage you all to take 15 minutes of your summer and read the book of James? (laughs) We're getting a lot of commentary off the bat here too. And I just would encourage you to do that. And one of the things I love about the book of James, it's just so straightforward. It's just black and white. Like you read some stuff like the book of Hebrews right before James, and you're like, what's going on here? In a lot of Paul's letters, like Peter said, some of Paul's teachings are hard. You read some of Paul's stuff, like in Romans 9, 10, and 11, you're like, what on earth is going on here? But I could could say about James probably more than any other letter arguably written in the New Testament, it is the most readable, easy to understand and comprehend. It's black and white. It's straight up. It's direct. And so if you're someone that struggles with reading the Bible, I'd encourage you to read the book of James. And so the other thing I want to encourage you before we kind of jump into tonight's message is if you go on your YouVersion Bible app, Francis Chan does a video Bible app over 12 days and he works through the entire book of James. And so I'd encourage you to go ahead and go on your YouVersion Bible app and follow that Bible plan and watch Francis Chan teach through the entire, uh, entire book. It's free, and you can take advantage of that. But let's talk a little bit about James, about who he is, about that before we kind of dive into the text. So James as a book, it kind of reads like a combination of the Sermon on the Mount and the book of Proverbs. It's just very, very practical. And one thing you'll find about James as you read it is it's very direct. Like, he is a straight shooter. He's blunt, but it's all done in love. James was a pastor of the church in Jerusalem, and he pastored a bunch of Jewish Christians. And so he could speak very candidly, as he does in his letter, um, to the saints that were there. And so it's a very, he's a very straight shooter. Um, the other thing that, about the book of James is over the last 2,000 years— A lot of people have had a difficult time with the book of James, not because it's hard to understand, but because they take issue with some of his teaching. Matter of fact, James was one of the very last books that actually, when we decided, the church decided, on the 66 books of the Bible, 
James was the, one of the last ones at it. So there was some different questions about the book of James. Martin Luther, who started the Protestant Reformation, he just didn't like the book of James. He called it the epistle of straw or the letter of straw. It wasn't made of a lot of stuff in his opinion. Now, Luther, when he had an experience with Jesus, he had this profound encounter with the grace of God coming from a workspace mentality. And so to him, James round, the book of James round counter to his experience with the love of God, which it doesn't. But for him, he felt such an extreme uh, experience with the grace of God, it was hard for him to fit James into his understanding of beliefs. And others struggle with the idea that there's hardly any mention of Jesus' death and resurrection. There's absence of the spirit or salvation. And so a lot of people really struggle when they read James, because when they read James, they think Paul. Paul wrote 13 letters. So much of our scripture is made up by Paul, but James is not Paul. And James was writing to a Jewish audience and giving them direction with how to actually live out their faith. So James chapter 1, verse 1, if you have your version Bible or you can look on the screen here, it says this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the, in the dispersion. Greetings. So James was written between 50 and 66 AD. It's actually one of the oldest books or the first written letters of the New Testament that we have. And many scholars, like most of them, you know who they argue that James actually was? The brother of Jesus. One scholar said there's only one serious contender of who James actually was. Because we have a few different James in the book, in the New Testament. But one scholar said there's only one serious contender. It was the brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus. So, which is really interesting, because you look at first one, what it says. It doesn't say, James, brother of Jesus, me and him were besties, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus. Like, if I'm James, I'm probably name-dropping that I'm the brother of Jesus. Like, you know, like, when you, I don't know if any of you know anyone famous, but you're like, yeah, I, like, I know Tom Brady. Or like, I hung out with Sidney Crosby, or whatever. Like, we tend to name-drop. But James doesn't do that at all. He doesn't name drop, oh yeah, James, the brother of Jesus, a servant of God. No, he just says, I'm a servant of God and Lord Jesus Christ. It's like Paul in Philippians chapter 3 said, everything else, I count it all as garbage compared with knowing Jesus. All the other titles, that stuff just doesn't matter. James says, I'm a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And James, again, was writing to Jewish Christians People that came to faith in Jesus, that believed in Jesus' death and resurrection, that were scattered abroad. And so one of the reasons these Jewish Christians were scattered is because if I was just reading an Acts this week in my devotions, and there's two instances where it references the church was actually scattered through the Roman Empire through persecution. So they're going through really difficult times. And so the church was scattered throughout the Roman Empire by persecution, amongst other things. And James was writing to those Jewish Christians to kind of give them some instructions and keep them grounded in the gospel. And so James begins his letter after his greeting by talking about trials because these Christians were all going through trials. Verse 2 says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. 
If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So there's a few things I want to hit on before we jump into working through these verses. The first thing is that I can promise you something based on this passage of Scripture. Is that 100% of you in this room are going to go through trials. <laughs> Real encouraging, right, Pastor Jay? Way to, way to lift our spirits. 100% of you, I can promise you, will go through trials. It's just a reality. It's when, not if. And it's, the Bible says here, various kinds. We have itty-bitty trials and great big honking trials and everything in between. We have various kinds of trials. And you know what? I don't think I have to do any convincing to you for you to believe what the Scripture says. Amen? <laughs> Amen. Various kinds of trials. Amen. And so that's just a given. We're going to experience trials. And I guess most of us in this room would say, Yes, we go through trials, but there's also a sense of God's blessing in our lives. And sometimes maybe we get a little confused because we sense God's blessing, but we also very much sense the trial we're going through. And the presence of blessing does not remove the presence of pain. Jesus experienced both incredible blessing from God, but incredible pain. Amen? That's the first thing. The second thing is, generally speaking, we... Me, you, and I, we don't like being coached or directed or counseled or advised, generally speaking, when we're in the middle of a trial. And part of that is we're struggling with our own stuff. We feel like people won't understand, which is sometimes partly true. And we don't want someone to tell us how we feel. And so that's kind of a struggle is following the direction from a preacher, a counselor, a friend, the scriptures. It's really hard to do that in the middle of the trial. And so, so that's why being ready to receive counsel in the midst of a trial is really important. And so if you're not currently in a trial, I can promise you, you're going to experience a trial. And so a, a word of wisdom would say, receive the counsel from the scriptures before you face the trial. Now, if you're in the middle of a trial, it might be harder for you to hear the directive that Scripture gives to you as you face that trial. And I feel for you as you go through the trial. I was thinking about the last three weeks in our community. <sighs> a doozy. In the last two weeks, we talked about trials. And then we start here in James chapter 1, and guess what we're talking about again? Trials. And, and it's hard for us to hear that, but God loves us so much, he actually wants to speak to us about how we are to approach and face trials, how we're to have his perspective, how we're to understand the purpose of trials, and then ultimately how we actually get grace to actually work through and come out the other side of the trials. And I just want to say that, like, I don't understand the pain of your trials. I don't understand the challenges that you're faced with, with the adversity you're going through. 
But I know a God intimately that does know, that grieves with you, that feels the pain you feel at the very deepest level. And he doesn't just like say, get over it. He grieves deeply with you. Peter's, in Peter's letter, he talks about trials being grievous, like weighty to the soul. And God feels the weight of your adversity, the weight of your challenge, the weight of the things you're going through. So he feels that, but at the same time, he wants to feel that and grieve that with you, but also give you the directive from Scripture to build a foundation and strength and maturity in you so that actually you develop strength to face adversity more and more and more and more. And so we want to look at the passage of Scripture here tonight in the first part of James, and we're going to talk about trials. And the first part we're going to talk about is the perspective of trials. The Bible says, count it all joy when you meet trials. Count. It's kind of like in Philippians chapter 3 where Paul says, um, I count everything all else as garbage. And actually, in Philippians chapter 3, before he gets to chapter 3 verse 7, he actually lists all the things. He adds them all up. And saying, I was this, and 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 I was this. I count all that up, but I now count that as garbage compared to the greatness of knowing Christ. Paul calculated it. And so we're instructed to do the same. And so there's a few things I want to say about having perspective in trials. It'll require a couple different things. The first thing that it will require is to resist overstating or minimizing it. Resist overstating your trial or minimizing your trial. There's some of us when we're faced with adversity and trial, we tend, and some of this is based on our personality, our wiring, lots of different things, but when we're faced with adversity, some of us have a tendency to be consumed by the trial. Like it just consumes us and we become panicky and anxious and fearful and fretful and nervous and edgy and irritable and all those things and part of that is because we've allowed the trial to totally consume us. But then there's those of us also that we face a trial and adversity, and we're like the meme that circles on the internet with a dog sitting in an apartment with a cup of coffee, and the whole apartment's burning down, and he's like, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Listen. If you're going through a trial and adversity, everything is not fine. Part of our journey is stepping out of denial that everything's not okay. And as a Christian, it's okay that in some circumstances, it's okay to not be okay. God, the Bible says in Psalm 51, he desires honesty from the inward parts. He wants us to be real and authentic. And how many times as Christians do we go through trials and everything's not okay? And so we don't want to be consumed by the trial, but we also don't want to be disingenuous and not honest and frank. And so resist overstating or minimizing. The second thing is pause before you react. Pause before you react in the midst of the trial. It says count or consider. How many of you are math people in the room? We had like 25 in the first service. I was like, Let's go math team. But 
My daughter told me that her favorite thing about school this past year, we asked her, and her favorite thing was math. I was like, all right, here we go. But in math, you calculate, you count. And in the same way when you're faced with a trial, Paul says to count. You have to calculate. You have to pause and understand what's going on here. So it might require, when you're faced with a trial, not posting it to Facebook. That's probably unhelpful for you, and it might be unhelpful for other people. The most helpful thing you can do as soon as you're faced with a trial is actually to bring it to the feet of Jesus, like literally, like actually pray about your adversity. The third thing is, in terms of perspective in the midst of trials, is just this humility to embrace the mystery of the trial. God, I don't know what to do with this. God, I don't know what you're trying to do in this situation. God, I don't get it. I don't get why this happened. I don't get why I'm faced with such challenges. God, I just don't get it, but I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. God, would you just help me through this season? And then the fourth thing is the discipline to look through the trial. It's really hard to do that because when you're faced with a trial, our tendency is to be fixated and consumed with the adversity. But the scripture says in Hebrews 12, it says, keeping our eyes on Jesus, our eyes fixed on Christ. And so we ask ourselves the question, instead of like fixating on the trial, we're saying, Jesus, what are you up to in this trial? What are you doing in my life through this season of adversity? And for some of you, it's not like a trial. It's like the season of trials. And you're like, Lord, would you give me eyes to see what you're doing in the trial? Because like, like God doesn't often cause a lot of the trials we experience, but man, oh man, does he use them, amen? And joy is not because of the trial. There's joy because it's never just a trial. God is using trials in our life. And so we start off with the perspective of trials. The second thing is the purpose of trials. The Bible says, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. You see, James, it seems like, James, you're not being fair right now. You start off after you do your little greeting, and the very first thing you say to me as I'm going through persecution is count it all joy when you are faced with various trials. That's not fair, James. Can't you be a little bit more compassionate? And we can interpret James as being harsh. James is not minimizing the pain that you're going through. As he's pastoring these Jewish Christians and as he's speaking to us today, inspired by the Holy Spirit, as we face various kinds of trials, it's not that he's not being pastoral or compassionate. He's trying to help the Jewish Christians to see a reality. God is using this trial to mature and form you more and more to look like Christ. That's what he's trying to get them to see. God may not have caused the trial, but man, oh man, is he ever using it to make us more like Jesus. And for James... And for Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, 
in Paul in Romans chapter 5, they're pointing and trying to help Christians to see, to have God's perspective in the midst of trials. There's a purpose in the trial. One of the purposes that God brings about from a trial is God actually gives us the ability to depend on him more. How many of you honestly, when you go through a difficult time, you're like, God, I need you. Man, I love when we sing that song, oh God, my God, I need you. How I need you. And there is a sense that when we go through adversities and trials, it brings us to our knees, does it not? It makes us say, God, I just need your help. I need your strength. I need your patience. I need your guidance. I need your direction. I need your wisdom. I need just so, I'm such a needy person, God. And I come to you because there's nowhere else I can turn to get what I need. And you know what's amazing about our awesome Heavenly Father who loves his children dearly? When we come to God in need, our good Father actually takes great care of us. And as we develop this habit, every time we face a trial, is to not run to other things, but we develop the habit of running to our dear Heavenly Father, is we learn that, oh my goodness, every time I run to the Father, He shows up. He gives good gifts to His children. He looks after me. And it develops this ability in you to actually be fully dependent on God for everything. Because you know he's going to show up because that's the kind of God that he is. And don't mistake silence at times for God's goodness because God is there with you even at times when he seems silent. So it helps increase our dependence on God is one of the purpose of trials. The other thing that it does is increases our patience and perseverance. How many of y'all pray for patience? Most of us don't because we're like, we know what's coming if we do. But patience and perseverance are things that God builds inside of us. It's this ability to endure. And like a lot of us, we have a difficulty with enduring. We fall to pieces and crumble often when we go through trials. I'm that way. I fall to pieces and crumble at times when I face trials. But Here's what God wants to do, which I think is amazing. God wants to develop inside of us this patience and perseverance so that as adversity comes, we have this power and substance inside of us that allows us to push through when the rains, came, rains come and the wind comes. When the fire of adversity comes, God wants to build inside of us patience and perseverance. And not like, not like worldly patience, like Patience and perseverance that comes from God that's built inside of us. That's what God wants to build inside of us. That's part of the purpose of trials. And ultimately, James says, God's purpose for trials is actually to bring us to a point of maturity. He actually uses the word, which some people have a hard time with, the word perfect. Now, James isn't talking about being flawless. He's talking about getting to a spot as you face these various kinds of trials that Christ is being fully formed in you, using Paul's language. There's just a depth and stability about you and your inner core 
that, and it's not to say that you're better than the trial. There's always this foundational dependence on God. <laughs> it's all Jesus all the way. If Jesus don't show up, we're all sunk. But there does come a stability in our relationship with God that when we're faced with adversity, it's like, no, the strength is there because of Christ. There's like a, a stabilization that happens. So instead of going up and down and all around as we're faced with trials, there's a firmness that's found in Christ. Why? Because as we've faced adversity, Christ has used it to fully form his presence inside of us. And guys, that is bedrock. That is solid. Christ is so strong and so powerful, and he wants to be fully formed in our lives. So when the wind comes and the storms come and the adversity comes, there's a maturity there. That's, that's, where, Paul, that's where James wanted the Jewish Christians to get to. Because there was so much temptation for them to abandon their faith based on the fact that people were trying to kill them because they were Christians. They had all kinds of adversity. But James wanted to get the church, the people he was writing to, the people he loved dearly, the people he was pastoring, James wanted to get his people to a point of just stability of firmness, of unshakable being in Christ. And James, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is writing to us here today and speaking to us and saying, Coastal Church, individually and corporately, I want to get you to the point where there's a stability in you. When you're faced with adversity, there's such a dependence on God, and I've so formed my presence inside of you that despite what's thrown at you, there's a holding form to, firm to Jesus. And that's so my heart for you as your pastor. Like, I just, I want us as a church and you as an individual to have that firmness in Jesus. And one of the ways we get that firmness is actually by receiving the grace from God in those trials. A great verse is James chapter 1. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. And it will be given him. Now, y'all can disagree with me on this one. But oftentimes when we think about this verse, it's, I want wisdom and God will give it. And that's not wrong. But the wisdom that James, I believe, is talking about in this passage of Scripture is actually tied in to verses 2, 3, and 4. Because how many times are we in the midst of a trial, and one of the questions we ask ourselves is, what am I going to do? I mean, arguably, that's actually half of the trial, is we're stuck. We don't know what to do. We, back to you math people again. Like, we like math because there's an equation, and there's an answer to solve the problem. But how many times in life do we feel like we're stuck with the trial? We don't know what to do. We don't know how to solve the problem. And so James is actually talking about wisdom for the various trials that we're in. Now, like, for a second here, think back to your, some of your most recent trials. How much of the turmoil was caused by the fact that you didn't know what to do? Because we need wisdom. We need God's direction and guidance for how to live out this Jesus life 
in a world that doesn't follow Jesus. And God grants wisdom when we ask him. It's, it's a promise that God gives. So in the, think of the context of your trial right now or the trial that you're about to face that I just promised y'all are going to experience. The scripture says to ask God for wisdom. And so for some of you, it's getting alone with God and saying, God, or, or while you're driving in a car, saying, God, I need wisdom to know what to do about this particular situation. And the promise is that God will give it. Now, sometimes we think that God is going to speak through this big, booming voice in heaven. My experience has been, most times when I pray and ask God, if I would just quiet my thoughts and heart and everything down, and right immediately after I pray, this doesn't happen all the time, but it's amazing how many times after you pray and ask God for something, if you just stop and listen right after, how many times a thought will come into your head. And sometimes we just think that's just us. And sometimes it is just us. But I would say more often than we think, God actually gives us thoughts with what to do. We say, God, I don't know what to do about my job right now. Would you just give me wisdom? And we stop and we listen. And the Holy Spirit whispers to us an idea or someone to talk to or a way in which to deal with a situation. Oftentimes, God gives us that wisdom in those moments. And it's amazing. Or sometimes, the other way that God gives us wisdom is through the body of Christ. Maybe you feel stuck in your trial and, and you find a mature believer that you can talk to about the situation that you're in. And you process with them and then they pray for you. And then they get a sense from the Holy Spirit. They get a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom or direction from the Lord in some different way, and God kind of inspires you with the wisdom to know what to do in the midst of your trial. It's amazing how God works. And the cool part is, is there's certainty. The first promise I give you tonight is you can guarantee you will face trials. I will face trials. But there's a second promise here. The end of verse 6 says, verse 5 says, if anyone lasts wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all generously without criticizing, and he will give it. I can promise you you'll face trials. But I can also promise you that God will, guaranteed, give you the wisdom to know how to face that trial. He'll give you grace in the midst of the trial. I invite the worship team to come. So... Tonight's message is a little bit more reflective. All of us are in different spots. All of us are in different journeys. Some of us are right in the thick of a trial. Some of us are just getting ready. Some of us have just come out of one, and you're like, Jay, I hope there's nothing coming in the next few days. But I just some questions just to reflect on and think about. Let's just slow down for a second, just process. Am I trying to get out of a trial that God wants to use to grow my faith? I would say that if I'm speaking personally, I do that. I try to get out of the trials that God wants to use to grow my faith. What about you? Do you try to get out of the trials that God wants to use to grow your faith? Second question. What if I look directly into the trial, like directly into it, 
instead of turning away from it? What if I look directly into the trial instead of turning away from it? Third question. Is it possible Jesus has a blessing that I can only find in this trial? Ugh, I don't like that. You know why I don't like that question? It's because I might be like you. I have a fear of missing out. I don't want to miss out on anything God has for me. And more importantly, I don't want you to miss out on anything God has for you. And some of our greatest blessings in this life that God actually gifts us with only come from a trial. One of the greatest gifts we have came from the most significant trial that anyone ever went through. What a blessing we have in Christ, amen? But it was a trial. Jesus suffered terribly for you and for me. He was beaten and bruised, nail pierced through his hand, nailed to a cruel cross, broken and poured out for you and for me, suffered terribly at the hands of sinful men. But what a blessing we now have in Jesus. <laughs> Forgiveness of sins, closeness with the Father, adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High God. What a blessing. It's a good thing Jesus didn't turn away, right? Huh? It's a good thing that Jesus didn't turn away. How many are thankful that Jesus didn't say, I can't do this anymore, Father. I'm giving up. How many lives in this room who've experienced the forgiveness and grace and mercy and comfort of God received so much from him? How many of us in this room today? Because Jesus said, I'm going to see the blessing in the trial. And definitely not to that degree. Huh. And this is so convicting for me. How many blessings did Jesus have for us in the trial if we just push through? If we just have his perspective to know that God is up to something. There's a purpose in the midst of this. God may not have caused it, but man, is he going to use it? And not only that, he is going to give us the grace, the daily bread, everything we need to push through moment by moment because he's our heavenly father and he loves us. Let me pray for us. Father dear, thank you for your grace. Thank you that you're close to us. You're not far off and distant, but you're close. Jesus, we are just so incredibly thankful that you didn't turn away from the trial. But Jesus, you went for it. You suffered at the hands of sinful men on our behalf. And what a blessing we have in Jesus. Lord, would you develop in us the patience, the perspective, the perseverance, God, to be able to grow more into your image, I pray. God, bless those that are faced with adversity right now in the name of Jesus. And prepare and equip us, God, for the trials to come. Lord, we love you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet.
We really hope that this message is motivating you to go deeper in your relationship with Jesus and has inspired you to join us in our mission to take Jesus into every community of Southwest Nova. If you have any questions about the sermon, if you want to know how you can get involved, send us an email at office at coastalchurchns.com. We'd love to get connected with you. Have a great day.